0: Please pray with me one more time before we go to the word. Dear Lord, the lion who is also the lamb, we do love you. And we ask you, God, even as we listen to your word now, that we would love you more. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. And as we do, God, let that spill over into one another. And unto the lost. Help us, God, to, to grow in Christlikeness. Apply the word to our, our hearts and our souls. And as we live out these truths, God, I, I pray that, that you would be exalted. We thank you for, for this time now and for this worship service. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. As you're turning there, some of us have heard the old expression, what goes up must come down. And it speaks of the law of gravity, right? The physical reality that if something is thrown or placed up in the air, it eventually must come back down. And uh, it's like if I'm tossing the football with my sons at the beach, And, um, you know, Philip can throw it quite a bit higher than I can at this point. It's way, way up there. But still, I know it's coming back down. Or like when you're a little kid and you discover, um, as some of us have, maybe out of a a bit too much curiosity or just uh, maybe lack of uh, brightness, but if you spit straight up into the air, guess what happens? (laughs) What goes up must come down. A uh, somewhat embarrassing lesson to learn when you're little. All the fireworks that happened a few weeks ago for our 4th of July celebration here in this country. All that stuff that went up, it landed somewhere. I don't know exactly where, but it came back down. Opposite to that, there's a, a spiritual reality that our sermon title today reflects. What goes down must come up. In a sense, this is the reality of the Christian life. Over and again in the Bible, we see that it's the humble and lowly, the ones who seem like they're down or seems like they're losing, those are the ones who end up being lifted up. It's the downtrodden who are delivered. It's the meek who are given might. It's the afflicted who ascend. Some of you are are questioning that. So Psalm 145, verse 14, says, The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Psalm 146, verse 8, The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The next Psalm, Psalm 147, verse 6, The Lord supports the afflicted. And another way to, to translate that is the humbled. Jesus says, as he begins the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Those who are not spiritually arrogant. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A few verses later, he says, Blessed are the gentle, gentle, the meek, the humble, the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. Later on in the New Testament, both the half-brother of Jesus, James, as well as Peter. James 4, verse six, first 1 Peter 5, verse 5, both referring to Proverbs 3, verse 34. It says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's why both of them have the same command later. In James 4, verse 10, just a few verses later, James writes, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord... And what's the promise? He will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, the very next verse after the one I just gave you. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Peter says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. In other words, according to Scripture, the spiritual reality is what goes down must come up. And this was true for Jesus as well. Our sermon theme today is that Jesus' suffering and sacrifice for sinners is the greatest act of humble service and leads to the greatest glory. It's in your insert if you're taking notes. Jesus' suffering and sacrifice for sinners is the greatest act of humble service and leads to the greatest glory. Um, You can... Well, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read to you John 12, verses 23 and 24. John 12, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit He's speaking metaphorically of his own death to come. Just as a a sown kernel dies to bring forth a rich harvest, so Jesus' death will result in the salvation of many souls and great glory to God and great glory to himself. He says this is the hour. The hour has come. John chapter 12. He's almost at the cross. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And we know that in Jesus' life, He was born in a a lowly manger on earth, but he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. While on earth, he had a, a career in carpentry. Now he reigns in divine royalty. He suffered and died on a cross wearing a mock crown of thorns, but now he bears the crown that belongs to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And a week before he was crucified... He rode into Jerusalem riding on the full of a donkey. He's going to return on a figurative white stallion to establish his thousand-year kingdom on earth. And I love that we sang, And Can It Be, um, because when I consider that, that hymn and the words of Charles Wesley there, it takes my mind straight to Philippians chapter 2, right? And so starting in verse 8, it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the next verse says, For this reason also, God what? Highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so it is for Christ and for us, his followers, what goes down must come up. So let's read the, the text. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. We're not going to get through the entire passage today, but I'm going to read it. So if you are able to stand and withstand uh, 14 verses... This is Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. If you're not able, please stay seated. But this is the Word of God. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Please be seated. So this is part one of what goes down must come up. And if we as Christians want to go down, to be humble, to be lowly in spirit, to obtain humility like Jesus, in order to be lifted up, how do we get there? If we believe God's promises that the humble will be exalted with him, and we'll receive His uplifting hand. We'll be raised up in His grace. How do we develop that humble, lowly attitude? Well, I want to offer three ways to cultivate Christ-like humility so that God can be glorified in our lives and leadership. Okay, three ways to cultivate Christ-like humility, this, this lowliness, so that God can be glorified in our lives, and leadership. And we're only going to go over the first point today. You're going to have to wait for the rest of it next week. So The first way is to remember the price of Jesus' great suffering. If you're taking notes, that's the blank. Remember the price of Jesus' great suffering. It's our first few verses. And again, verse 32 says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking on ahead. They were amazed. Those who followed were fearful. He takes the twelve aside, right? So Jesus and the twelve, they're on their way up to Jerusalem. And this just speaks to the elevation of Jerusalem, the city, right? 2,500 feet. So whatever road you're taking, whichever direction you're coming from, you're going up. You're ascending. And the time of the Lord's crucifixion is drawing close, as we mentioned. We're less than six months away from the cross. It doesn't say how much time has passed since the previous teachings that we've been over the last couple Sundays, but the disciples were still amazed at this point as Jesus is teaching about salvation, as he's teaching about sacrifice and rewards, as they just left the rich young ruler. And so, we don't know how much exactly time had passed, but they were amazed at this point still. And it says that others were following, and the others who were following were fearful. And Mark doesn't explain why these folks were afraid. Perhaps it's because they were aware of the increasing danger and hostility of the Pharisees and scribes with their plots to destroy Jesus. Maybe they overheard or caught whispers about what he's been telling the Twelve about his death. Possibly it's because a, a bunch of other people have stopped following him, And yet they were still following him, and now they were a bit afraid. In any case, Jesus is walking ahead of them, right, as a good shepherd does. At one point, he takes the twelve aside and he tells them what is going to happen to him. And as we know, he's been preparing them for some time now, right? This is the the third instance, the third time in Mark's gospel that Jesus is recorded telling the twelve what was to come. You remember Mark 8, verse 31. We were there a while ago. It says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And that's where Peter takes them aside and rebukes them, right? The next chapter, Mark 9, verse 31. Verse 31 again, but Mark chapter 9. It says, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them the son of man is to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. And now, chapter 10, verse 33. Jesus is saying, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him. And kill him. In case you didn't notice, there's so many things wrong with what is going to happen, as Jesus has predicted. I mean, we have to, we have to remind ourselves, okay, everything is just absolutely wrong here. It's like, uh, Luke Skywalker, right, in that now classic line that he tells Kylo Ren, right, every word of what you just said is wrong. And that's not to say that Jesus is wrong here. I'm just saying like it's, it's, it's wrong as in not right. Right? It's, it's, it's unfair. It's unjust. It's, it's faulty. It's incorrect. It's in error. It's inappropriate. Look at this. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. The Son of Man. God in the flesh. Daniel chapter 7. Title of Deity indicates the full humanity of Jesus. Yet, he's fully God. This one, holy God, holy man, who will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. Hey, the incarnate God, the one who we've been learning about through our study in the Gospel of Mark, the one who has power and authority over demons and disease and nature and death and everything, he's going to be handed over to who? A puny human Religious leaders who are teaching a false system of salvation. This is just, this is just absurd. Next. And they will condemn him to death. What? What, Lord? These fallen, hypocritical, blind guides will condemn him, the son of man, to death? They are judging him. They are giving him the, the death sentence. To the perfect, holy, sinless Son of Man? What are these wicked, sinful, human teachers doing daring to condemn Christ, the Son of God? And then it says they will hand him over to the Gentiles. Since since the Jewish leaders are lawfully not allowed to put people to death, they're going to hand him over to who? Gentiles. Jesus said it all three times. Right? Into the hands and courts of heathen, pagan, irreligious, immoral, lawless leaders. He like, like Pontius Pilate. He like, like Roman soldiers. Verse 34. They, they will mock him, spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him. The, The wrongness of everything described here by Jesus and, by the way, described by Isaiah 700 years earlier hey, it is shocking it's unreal it's, it's bizarre yet Jesus predicts it again he reiterates it for the twelve this is the most detail he gives of the cruelty and sufferings that he's going to undergo on the way to the cross they mock him, right? verbal insults scorn, ridicule The crown of thorns, the reed, purple robe. I I don't know how much mocking or scorn that any of you have have received in life, uh, face to face, uh, in younger days or older days, but I'll tell you it doesn't feel good. They spit on him. Is is there any worse insulting thing than being spit upon? Scourge him. We know that this is the description of the, the lashings, the whips, With the sharp bones and metal attached to the ends so that upon each lash, skin and flesh would be ripped out of his body. He had a, I had a hangnail this morning. It started bleeding. It it bothered me to no end. I still have it. It hurts. But, no comparison, right? Kill him. All of this is leading to death. Matthew's account says, crucify. They will crucify him. The nailing on the cross and the slow, torturous death that the Romans perfected for the lowest and vilest of criminals. And all this is, is uh, going to be happening, fulfilled in Mark chapter 14 and 15, which eventually we will get to. But it's sobering just to even look at this in a little bit of detail right now and to remember the price that Jesus paid in order to save us. Hey, recalling the wrongs that Jesus suffered and rehearsing each day the, the glories of the gospel, this has a humbling effect uh, on my soul. Hey, bringing to our minds daily Jesus' great sacrifice and his deep, deep love for us, hey, sinful wretches as we were, this, this must help cultivate hearts of humility for us, dear church. We're humbled when we remember the price Jesus paid, when we rehearse these these awful things that have happened, because we realize once again that he did all of it, not because we were good, not because we deserved it, but because he is gracious, even though we did not deserve it in the least. It's difficult to remain prideful and arrogant and judgmental people when we recall our lord's sufferings and it took his precious blood to wash away our sins right how how are we to stand above others to look down on others when when jesus humbled himself and he lowered himself even to death for us so i encourage you all and you've heard me say this before but to bring to your minds recollection every day in the truth and beauty, and reality of the gospel. He pondered the Son of Man who came to give His life a ransom for many, for you. And as we're humbled at the foot of the cross, bowed down, what happens? We're caused to look up. We're caused to look up to Christ. I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but My humility, many times, it seems to disappear when I see some wickedness or some display of human depravity on social media or on TV or in the news or online. I'm not sure if anyone can relate to me or not. But just for example, just this past week, I saw yet another of one of the now all-too-common video recordings of, of a, a woman, and just being just being beaten by some brutish man, and and you see those things: the elderly people just being randomly attacked by someone and beaten on the street, punched, kicked, and all the rest. Or reading headlines like, "Transgender Collegiate Swimmer Leah Thomas Nominated for 2022 NCAA Woman of the Year Award." Or government leaders condemning the, the good work of pregnancy clinics and care centers all around the nation and encouraging shutdowns and attacks on those, on those clinics, hey, which are doing such wonderful service for, for women and men. Hey, the list could go on and on, right? But, but listen, it, it's not just those things that we see on social media or online. Hey, it's an actual social relationships interactions and conversations that we have with unbelievers hey when they're not acting or talking like like we think they sh- they should right not up to my christian standard all to say my mind sometimes races to prideful judgment or if I'm not careful my heart can succumb to feelings of unrighteous anger and arrogant malice I'm quick to remember 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, right? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Right? I'm quick to remember that when I see like a, a homeless guy like, you know, just crossing the street and endangering other people and I get mad. But I'm easy to forget the next verse. Such were some of you. Such was me. But you were washed. You are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, note, Note the passive verbs on all of those. I didn't do anything good. God did it. He washed. He justified. He sanctified. He saved. See, it's good for us to remember what the last verse of 1 Corinthians 6 says. Verse 20. For you have been bought with a what? With a price. We're purchased with the only currency that God accepts, and that's the precious blood of his own son. It's good to remember Romans 5, 6. For while we were helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So to cultivate Christlike humility and glorify God in our lives, we need to remember our Savior and his work on the cross for us. Pastor Kevin DeYoung writes, quote, The good news of the gospel is that God leads us to see our sin, to repent of it, and to walk in the light as he is in the light, and then to be cleansed and enjoy him forever. We can enjoy the forgiveness and cleanness that comes only from Christ, end quote. Rehearsing and retelling to ourselves, our Savior's sufferings. For us, it works to humble our hearts. The price he paid for my sins reminds me just how much Jesus loved me. Just how much he cared for me. And also it reminds me of this. Just how much Jesus continues to love me. How he loves me right now. Just how much Jesus continues to care for me. He cares for me. He cares for us. He cares for you, blood-bought sinner, right now. He hasn't stopped. The price of his blood was was too costly, it was too precious for him to ever abandon you. The author of Pilgrim's Progress, good old John Bunyan, on remembering Jesus' sufferings for us, he said, quote, I saw my sin as most barbarous and a filthy crime. I had to conclude with great shame and astonishment that I had horribly abused the Holy Son of God. And I felt my soul greatly to love Him and my heart to yearn for Him. For I saw that He was still my friend. Quote. Thank you, Lord. What a humbling effect it has for us to... Remember the sufferings of Christ. So the second part of verse 34, the last part of verse 34, Jesus says, and three days later he will rise again. Before we conclude this point, we should remember that the gospel that humbles us before God and others includes the resurrection. The resurrection. Indeed, what goes down must come up. The Lord has mentioned to the disciples that he would rise from the dead a, a few times now. and Sometimes he did it in veiled ways, like in John chapter 2, but sometimes more directly. And lately, as we're in Mark chapter 10 here, he's been speaking to them more plainly, but they did not understand. If you want to listen to the parallel passage in Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verse 34 Luke adds this, and it's the same scene. Okay? Jesus just said the same thing as, as we just read. So in verse 34 of Luke 18, he says, But the disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. <laughs> Isn't it pretty clear, according to Dr. Luke, that the disciples did not get it? Right? Did you notice that? Three ways, three, three times in that one verse. He basically says that they were in the dark about what Jesus was saying. And part of it was that the true meaning and significance of Jesus' shocking prediction was hidden from them. Right? That was the second way he put it. The meaning of the statement was hidden from them. That is, God kept comprehension from, from coming to them at this time. But also, they just didn't get it. They didn't understand. Right? Right? So it's it's one of those both and kind of things. It reminds me of Pharaoh again. Right? Did God harden his heart or did he harden his own heart? Well, the text tells us equal number of times that both. So here, God kept them from understanding and they they just didn't understand. So we keep reading the gospels further in the gospels and we see that the 12 would fully realize what his words meant only after seeing the Lord resurrected. For now, they could not understand. And their, their mindset was that Jesus, Messiah, was going to come in and usher in that political, earthly kingdom. So Jesus tells them what's going to happen, the sufferings and sacrifices. And the Twelve, although they believed in him, and they were true disciples, except for Judas, they don't quite understand. And along with that, they continued to struggle with self-centeredness selfish desires okay in a word pride in a word pride so like i said next sunday we're going to hit the last two points on how to cultivate christ-like humility but um let me just start this one okay let me just start the 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 second point and it's the how do we cultivate christ-like humility we have to battle the problem of recurring pride a recurring, I'm telling you, Jesus told them this. And this is not the only time. He's been teaching them about humility and about service and servanthood and leadership and all these things. And yet, they don't understand. They don't get it. They don't understand any of it. Not just not the resurrection. Right? So verse 35 says, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Right? It seems that James and John needed to hear this sermon. I'm kidding. But really, they should have just listened to Jesus' words, right? What he's told them. Three times, at least, at this point. Even upon hearing again from the Lord directly what's going to happen, the sufferings that he's going to take, they immediately think of themselves. Apparently, the argument, you remember, In Mark chapter 9, that the disciples had among themselves about who's going to be greatest among us in the kingdom, that that hasn't been settled yet. And James and John are like jockeying for position here, getting to the Lord. And they even get mom involved in this. Hey, we'll we'll look at that maybe next time in Matthew's account. It seems like they and the twelve could have benefited from really considering what Jesus was saying more. Or maybe asking him for more explanation, right? That's a sign of humility. Ask or simply taking more time to ponder what it meant that the Lord would suffer, be taken away, tried, delivered, crucified. Maybe, maybe focusing more on the Lord and his word rather than themselves would have helped them become more humble, others-minded disciples. And so that brings us back to our point for today, right? This goes for us as well deeply pondering, thankfully praying, faithfully persisting in the truths of the gospel, meditating on the price Jesus paid for the forgiveness of our sins, that he conquered death by rising again from the grave, I believe this will help us all become more humble, more others-minded disciples, and thus bring glory not to ourselves, but to the Lord of our salvation. In conclusion, I'm going to go back to John chapter 12. You can just listen or you can go there with me. But John chapter 12, I mentioned it in the beginning. And I'll say it again, verse 23. Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, and then the last two verses, 25 and 26. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There you go. Humility, lowliness, meekness, service, down must must come up, will come up. The Father will honor me, will, will, will honor us with Him. That's the promise. And I, I don't want us to get this wrong, okay? Like last week, the point of following Christ and, and sacrificing for Him in the Gospel is not simply in order to obtain a reward, even though when Jesus says there's rewards, we should look forward to them. But the be- better point is The reality of the Christian life is that those who do sacrifice much for Christ, for the gospel, it will result in the abundant life that promises blessings a hundredfold, innumerable, uncountable, the highest degree, in the form of spiritual blessings. We talked about that last week. But as we think on those promises and rewards and blessings, what, what do our hearts sing, folks? Blessings all mine, with ten thousand beside, right? And then it doesn't end there, but great is thy faithfulness. It turns into a song of praise to God. We don't glory in ourselves as we remember the gospel. We glory in the Lord our God. We sing, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Let me close with this. Gresham Machen, the old 20th century theologian, he said, worse than the gospel being denied is the gospel being ignored. Dear Faith Bible Church family, let us not ignore the gospel. Instead, let's cultivate Christ-like humility together by remembering the great pi- price Jesus paid in his sufferings for us and trusting, trusting Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And what goes down must come up. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, what beautiful truth this is that we've just skimmed the surface on, that we've tried to explore a bit, that Jesus' is suffering and sacrifice for sinners like us is the greatest act of humble service. And this does not terminate in us, God, but leads to the greatest glory. Glory to you, soli dea gloria, to God alone be the glory. This is our prayer, this is our heart, and we trust you, God, as, as, we, as, as we try to apply these things to our lives and, and pursue and, and seek to grow in, in humbleness like our Savior, that, that you will be glorified more in our lives, and you will exalt us as we want nothing but you to be the one honored. So thank you, Father, so much for for this day, this time. Your word may change us and transform us more into the image of our Savior. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.